2: Hi guys, it's Carolina Hidalgo from Last Podcast Network. I co-host a weekly podcast called Movie Sign with the Mads with Frank Conniff and Trace Bellew, the original mad scientist from the hit cult TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's right, TV's Frank and Dr. Clayton Forrester, along with myself, spend each week discussing and thoroughly dissecting a movie we've recently seen.
0: The premise of our show is very complicated. I hope you can pay attention. We come in once a week and talk about a movie. Okay, I hope you could keep up with that.
2: Past episodes included classics like Taxi Driver, The Godfather, and Sunset Boulevard, to our live show recordings of The Shining, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, to newer releases like The Shape of Water, Hereditary, Get Out, and Mendy.
3: Some we like, some we don't. We agree, we disagree. But in the end, it's all about movies and you, the viewer, and your suggestions. The viewer, no, it doesn't come through that way. It's on the radio. It's on a podcast. A podcast, and it's free.
2: There's no real continuity between the episodes, so click on the movie episode you'd like to hear about. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you can find podcasts. Or just look for us on lastpodcastnetwork.com under shows. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the show.
3: Hello everybody, it's your disgusting, vast, wizard Holden McNeely.
0: And it is I, you are one with the purity of essence, legacy of the Zelnaga, reapers of the void, Protoss Wizard Jake.
3: Hey, I'm a Terran. Can I be one? <laughs> <I be what? laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pass the whiskey. We're in spice. Yeehaw, we're like a bunch of space western people. I'm like, if a guy that watched too much Star Wars had to think of an American Indian, <laughs> I got lightsabers and dreadlocks.
3: Uh, What we're trying to say is today we are doing our episode on StarCraft. And before we begin, I want to say that this was actually um, totally selfish on my part. You people are probably thinking, geez, you guys got a hard on for Blizzard. You've done Overwatch. (laughs) You've done World of Warcraft. And World of Warcraft not even that long ago. And now you're doing StarCraft. Well, this episode is dedicated in loving memory of Kevin Barnett. When I first met him, he was only playing StarCraft 2 and just loved it. And I used to talk to him every now and again and be like, I need to try this game. I need to try this game. I've never given it a fair shot. I've never really given like RTS a fair shot. And um, so this whole episode was just a way for me to get to start playing the game for the first <laughs> time, to learn everything about one of his favorite games. And uh, yeah, so here we go. Bird forever. It's
0: unfortunate that we couldn't cover his true favorite topic, which is specifically Chun-Li's thighs. Yeah, I wanted But we a, had already done a Street Fighter episode. I was
3: actually potentially going to do, like do try to do some sort of a Chun-Li thing, but maybe in the bonus content, we'll, we'll figure something out. Ca- we'll talk
0: out. about the great movie.
3: Oh yeah, we need to do that giggle flicks at some point, right? Um, But either way, uh, we are here to talk about StarCraft, um, and I will say this, we're definitely going to talk about the history of Blizzard and WarCraft, but probably not as much as one might think, just because we talked a lot about it in our World of Warcraft episode and our Overwatch episode, so definitely check that out, And but I definitely want to spend a good amount of time today, you fuckers, talking about <laughs> the history of real-time strategy, which I think is quite fascinating, because, you know, much like genres of music or film, it's always fascinating to figure out how a genre of anything was born, right, and... Um, especially back when it kind of didn't really exist and the games that sort of got us there. And I had a really fun time studying about that. I, so
0: you're one of those just gross... In just disgusting savages that uh, d- fail to understand the elegance and complexity of turn-based strategy. <laughs> well, uh, imagine y- chess, but everyone's dressed up like funny little
3: men. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, I like really enjoy a lot of uh, different types of strategy games. Um, you know, I like um Fire Emblem and stuff like that, right? But I've never really checked out um any, you know, any of the old Warcraft games or Starcraft because I wasn't really a PC gamer. And first of all, I. F- didn't realize, spoiler alert, because this will, we'll talk about this at the end, too, that like it's all free now, which is fucking crazy. So I downloaded StarCraft 2 last night. I, it kind of makes me want to go back to the StarCraft remaster that came out recently, too, and start from the very beginning. Fuck that,
0: man. I'm going to buy an IBM aptiva with a Pentium <laughs> 2 MMX on board and fucking <laughs> load up Windows 95 and go classic.
3: Ugh, Jake's only been wearing overalls lately. He's saying he's going back to the Earth. Oh
0: man, hey, I'll suck your dick for a Sound Blaster sixteen card.
3: Good
1: lord.
0: Not you specifically, the audience. This I, is I'm getting
3: word out. Well I have that one dog. Boy. <laughs> so you're gonna have to do some right now for it. Um but anyway, I just have that in my book bag. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. My book bag, by the way? What am I back in fucking elementary school? What's wrong with me? Everything's stupid and StarCraft's interesting. And I have to say this. I downloaded StarCraft two, and I even found a way. I made an excuse. I was like, oh, it's for research to play a little even before I came here. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go home, Jake, and play some more StarCraft II. Can you help me? Because I'm scared about what this might mean for my no, future. No,
0: it's fine. It's just imagine if fighting games were on a 2D plane and uh, instead of one guy fighting one guy you're controlling 8000
3: guys it's a lot i will say this just playing it um from from just totally blindly i will say they seem to have a very kind and generous onboarding system at least for starcraft 2 i'm not sure how ones is but the tutorial into the campaign on casual and i almost feel like i need to bump it up because it's like casual might be almost too easy it's really delicate with you like okay now we're just gonna run we're just gonna make the little mercenaries like run around and shoot in this mission now we're just going to build like one type of thing and that's all you need to focus on and and but i can tell how dense and like the tutorial was like this is this is these you need to build these things to make this thing and then this thing makes this thing all right tutorial done and you're like oh wait um and i was like terrified they were just gonna like throw me into a battle but um, right now, it's like it's like I'm just dipping the toes into the pool, and I'm feeling good about it, man. I really enjoy the interface, the 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 just the you know I'm start I'm just it's starting to click in, it's starting to click in. Like I did this weird like Barrack mission just now. I'm very early on, but um, the cutscenes are fun. The style is so ridiculous and fun. I mean, the fact that it's not just like boring and whatever. The fact that they're like space truckers, it's, the Terrans it's, at least. I mean, it's, the main story ridiculous. Of, of
0: this, the at least Wings of Liberty is like. Space head space trucker is upset because his uh space girlfriend purple titty insect monster <laughs> was killed by space hitler. Yeah, you but know. now she's back and he's gotta be like, I love you. Also stop killing entire planets with your bug titties. It's just
3: space stuff, dude. You know how it is. The oh shit, what's
0: the name of the Jim Rayner, the, you know, our, our main Terran guy who smokes cigars with a space helmet on, <laughs> his voice actor is amazing because I looked him up on Wikipedia and uh, the voice actor on his Wikipedia page has a voice clip. And it's like, here's a sample of Robert Clotworthy's voice. And it's literally something he recorded for Wikipedia. It's like, hi, I'm Robert Clotworthy, the voice of Jim Rayner. Thanks for checking out my Wikipedia page. <laughs> I,
3: I also it. love that there are moments in the soundtrack that just sound like um, you know, like softcore porn music. <laughs> it's like bound and now and now, You know what I mean? It's this like moody guitar, and you're just like, what is happening right now? Why is this like this? I feel like um I enjoy it though. I'm I'm really having a fun time with it, and it, it, it feels good to to play something um that was connected to, to Kevin while I fucking grieve the shit out of it. I think this is like the right thing but let's take a step away from grief and depression and let's take a step towards the fucking um well we're not gonna do anything with the way way back machine okay by the way way back machine you've been coming into my chat lately (laughs) trying to make amends with me and I'm not gonna do it buddy but I will do this I will take a trip into the fun back in time slide that I built that's just like a slip and slide that's not sentient at all mm-hmm. it just slides you back in time um, to the very beginnings of real-time strategy games now a real-time strategy game um, I didn't write down the definition for it I mean how how would you best describe a real-time strategy game uh, Jake
0: a real-time strategy game would involve uh, a player uh, in control of a uh, army of some kind and Uh, Usually on top of just commanding individual units and directing forces, you also have to manage the economy and development of those armies in real time in order to have more advanced troops and weapons. And so it kind of creates this constant full attention space where you are building up defenses, developing extra troops and new technologies. Uh, scouting the opposite side of the map because there's usually a fog of war quote unquote that obscures what the other your opponent is doing and um then uh, fucking eight Zerglings come in and rush in and ruin your shit when you just barely built your fucking first bunker <laughs> and the barracks I didn't even get to fuck I quit quit quit
3: yes, GG fuck ass it's incredibly uh, competitive and it, and you gotta have those fast hands you gotta oh. have those quick hands and I feel like oh you didn't initially this is, uh, this is uh, uh,
0: if you're gonna go to where I think you're gonna go in the first uh, real-time strategy game ever, you could not click on more than one units at a time.
3: Yes, well that, I mean, if you're talking about Dune 2, I've got way more before that. What? I've got like a chunky, we, because this is the thing.
0: I've been watching a lot of poorly researched YouTube <laughs> uh, videos, and they are like, "Yeah, Dune 2 is the first start Well, yes, how did Well,
3: how did we get to Dune 2 is my question, right? How did Frank real-time Herbert strategy- Frank Herbert fucking smoked
0: a lot of weed in the <laughs> desert, and was like, I hate my job. What if there were sex barons? You know
3: what, and the whole thing was. Tune is like that weed must have been bad, fucking weed. It was all bad everything's weed. Everything's just man. so bummed. Yeah, it's just so dark and upset.
0: The worst weed I have ever smoked in my entire life, as as an adult in the 21st century, is still like the most premium high that even like uh <laughs> like the entire Grateful Dead had never even known of. <laughs> yeah, back exactly. at their height.
3: So the very first. One game that you could sort of say is a predecessor to real-time strategy, and by sort of, I mean, you can definitely do that. It came out on a the sequel to the very first commercial home video game console. The very first uh, home video game console, apparently, is the Magnavox Odyssey, and this was on the Magnavox Odyssey 2, which came out in 1978.
0: I, no, no, you're not gonna tell me the first real-time strategy game was like square versus square. No,
3: no, no. It, it, well, it had 28 games made for it, including Pong, and the, another game that came out was called war of nerves war of Ner i have to say it like that because it has an exclamation point at the end war of nerves on the box it says a fast moving electronic strategy game you command an army of robots armed with stun guns squares so this is a two they player. Were squares they were little men shaped figures they look terrible mm. it looks like et imagine et but like a decent strategy game that came out um this is a two two player game and um, it, uh, on the top left you have like this bigger robot and on the bottom on right you have this bigger robot and then you have a squad of I believe four robots armed with stun guns. You have four little robots and each player, they're trying to touch the opposing robot general to get a point with their little squad and they're maneuvering around these different like bunkers and stuff trying to do it and so you're just like you're commanding a little a little tiny little core army it is like so so vaguely a predecessor but it is it is there you can kind of see it and that's so fascinating to me that there was something back in 78 that sort of could lead to the next the next a big genre in video games uh so Others cite the birth of the genre happening with a different game that came out in 1981 and that game was called Utopia. This ca- came out on the Intellivision and was de- oh developed by Don DeGlow, who was a he- true pioneer in games. He, this this guy's crazy, man. Don DeGlo, he was, uh, he was also the first person ever to create a computer baseball game with a game called Baseball in 1971. <laughs> he made the first computer RPG with Dungeon in '75, okay, okay, all right, and he was—he did the first graphical MMORPG in '91 with Neverwinter Nights. This guy like created a genre like four times in video games. So, uh, Utopia. This is a two-player game. Each player controls an island on which you spend currency to construct buildings, boats, and fund rebel activity on the other island, attempting oh to God. have the most points at the end of the game. You also it also claimed to have laid the foundation for games like Civ and SimCity. This is just like uh, so. This this game created two genres, arguably, but it was a competitive game. You're building structures. You're, you're, you're not exactly sending armies out to fight the other uh, island, but you are trying to sabotage the other island structures in order to get the most points at, at the in the end. They're just creating these d- new ways to do competition in video games. And this is all going to lead up to the next, um, to all these big genres. Another game that set the stage for uh, real-time strategy, uh, arguably the first ever of the genre, more than, so than Utopia, was a game called Cytron Masters. That was created by Danielle Bunton for the Apple II in 1982, who also created one of the most influential early multiplayer games with Mule. Oh shit. So Citron Masters, uh each Mule is Mule yeah. is real shit. We've covered like several times yeah. Mule has come up. Mule keeps coming up. This is a huge, huge deal person. Danielle Bunton um, is, is, uh, is a big deal in, in the early onslaught of just creating these completely new types of experiences in gaming. So each player is a commander, and there are eight generators scattered around the screen that produce energy, which is the resource spent to produce robot warriors called Cytrons, of which there are five different types. You try to take out the other player's army by just pulling resources, creating new, creating new soldiers, and sending them out to fight. So, I mean, that's sounds like more most like an rts out of all of these games i've mentioned so far people do argue slightly against the claim that it is the first true rts due to the inability to construct units or manage resources so i guess there's that you can't really like hands-on i guess it sort of just creates them and you 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 maneuver them around the around the space i believe is what they're talking about. Now, others argue, this is the last one i'm going to throw at you before we get into blizzard entertainment, but others argue the first true RTS came with a game called Herzog Zwei. This is developed by Technosoft and published by Sega for the Genesis in 1989. Of course, this is our most recent game i've described up until now. So, of course, it's going to be the, probably the closer to the RTS genre. You uh you are, as a player, you're piloting a flying, transforming mech through which the player buys combat units, uh, of which there are eight different types, and places them around the battlefield, giving them orders while they attempt to take control of outposts to take the other player out. There's also a single-player version of this game. I remember the cover of this game in, like, Blockbuster. You know what I mean? Because it had kind of a cool cover, but I'd look on the back of it, and I was like, I, I just never really, as a kid, was into that like top down look ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, now, that's something I gradually came to enjoy much later in life. Where I, I wanted two D platformers, uh, fighting games, you know, platformers, fighting games. Right? That was probably about it. Maybe uh, more
0: graphics equals more better.
3: Yeah, exactly. I wanted the best looking thing because I was a kid in the nineties and t- early two thousands. <laughs> so that was, of course, I just wanted it be looking good. So that really brings us up to date in terms of the old old but then of course that's you know everything changes with Dune 2 right mm-hmm. everything changes with Dune 2 do you want to talk about Dune 2 a little bit Jake
0: so you often think of uh, you know Blizzard and uh, Westwood Studios as this like internal rivalry with Warcraft coming out first and then Command and Conquer coming out second and then Warcraft 2 coming in and the two butting heads until Starcraft kind of basically just dominated the entire genre of 2D real-time strategy games in perpetuity uh, after that. But the fact is, is that Westwood Studios got the ball
3: rolling first with their game Dune 2. Uh, so weird that Dune 2 is the first big that it's like this and franchise. It's not a sequel
0: to their – it, it, I don't think it's a sequel to their first Dune game. They're trying to like – No, no. It's a sequel to the David
3: Lynch film, I believe. Yeah,
0: that's what they're like, going that's for. That's
3: how weird it is. It's not even the book. It is the weird as fuck – David Lynch movie that came out that did I mention is weird Cuz the sequels to the
0: book have like weird names like <laughs> son of dune nephew of uh-huh. the of the sand Yeah they're
3: not trying to be that so it's so but they turned into Im- a
0: giant worm guy at one point that's a, we're not covering that Could
3: you imagine we co- oh, will cover, dune at, <laughs> cover comes, we're so becomes, dune at some point I want to cover he comes we're so covering dune at some point
0: There's like an entire book where a big worm tells everyone they're dumb <laughs> uh, Yeah
3: I heard that one's like the worst <laughs> one right it's like the fourth one Hi
0: I'm a big worm you know money's weird right guys <laughs>
3: I imagine that's what it's like. Jake, I so bad want you to play the big worm in the do- dude sequel. You'd be amazing. Man. Hey
0: guys, I'm a big worm now. Anyway, politicians are
3: dumb. You know what? I'm we're not inviting Jake and Marie out to do drinks anymore. It's just not happening.
0: Silence!
3: <laughs> the worm must feed. He's filling up the entire bar and he's getting everybody slimy while he tells us that we're all stupid. It's
0: fine, the slime gets you high. <laughs>
3: Uh so anyways yeah D- Dune 2 though really kind of blew everybody away uh with, with its no with, turns no turns no turns uh you got to
0: you can't rest for a second you can't think you have to the way I kind of see it is people compare it to like chess or something you know cuz you have these pieces and you have to move them and each piece can like counter a different piece and it's like but in a way, it's it's more like a fighting game in that it's like 800 micro rounds of rock, paper, scissors a second. Yeah. And you have to just intellectually dominate the other person by making sure that you have all your bases covered and you are, like, testing where they are. And if they make a bad move, you immediately capitalize on it. And if anyone blinks, it's over.
3: Now, um, there were also, though, problems with Dune 2. Of course, if you're going to be the first to define a genre truly mm-hmm. – you're, there's going to be a lot of things that when gamers play it, especially programmers who make their own games, really notice and that stand out. That's something that they would change if they were to go and make their own game. And that was uh, mainly you could only select one unit at a time, as opposed to being able to select multiple of the same type of unit um, at once to command them to all go. Because usually in StarCraft, you're rarely just clicking on like. Well, you're not rarely. I guess you're doing it. You know, depends but, but, on the unit. Depends, depends on, on the unit. But, but if you're if it's like soldiers. You're you're very rarely just con- controlling one soldier and getting one soldier to go and just attack.
0: imagine trying to attack a single structure in an enemy base by like having to click each little zergling and going right.
3: like you there you there and you though there. the though there were different class types like they were pretty similar um they were all pretty pretty similar to each other uh, not as diverse uh as i think the class types will become later especially with starcraft
0: yeah star that was that's that's the big that was the big uh, revolution with Starcraft, because even Warcraft one and two barring like a couple of like minor tweaks in specific units, they were pretty much identical, like mirrors to each other. Uh, an orc warrior was like pretty much the same health and attack of a human knight i'm just pulling that out there don't correct me on that and it was war it was Starcraft where they actually managed to like really have like specific units be countered to other units and having how a Terran plays different than how a Protoss plays, different from how a Zerg plays, and still keeping that balance despite those differences, which is really
3: art. Yeah, very, very difficult. To, uh, to just adding one, a third class, yeah. you know, it just changes everything. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit, I said we w- would briefly cover, but let's cover it, uh, a little of the history of Blizzard and... What got us to the development process of StarCraft? So
0: some nerds uh, got, graduated got from their, their fucking nerd money. school. <laughs> no, okay, one of them got their parents' money. It is uh, which which guy was it? It was uh, uh, Alan me. Adham. Okay, uh, when he graduated from school, got a ten thousand dollar gift from his parents uh, that was supposed to be for his like year abroad, like see the world, because he worked so hard at. Um, I don't know, nerd computer school, University of California programmers. And he wanted to start a game company with his best friend, uh, Michael Morhaime. And supposed according to legend, legend has it that uh, the two became very fast friends when uh, Alan walked away from his computer terminal in the middle of a class. And as a prank, Michael rushed in and changed the admin password on the console And then shifted back, hoping to, like, lock him out and, like, make Alan all confused and scared. You know, like friends. Like friends do (laughs) when you just make your friends scared and worried for no reason. And Alan typed in his password and got in anyway. And he realized, the two realized that, uh, like, they both chose their same password. And it was Silicon and Synapse? No, it was just some nerd thing. They didn't say what it
3: was in the video. Oh, okay. Whatever. Uh, I bet it was, like, Mm -hmm. horny tits, 49. Because he got the six wrong?
0: Uh, they brought in another guy named Frank Pierce, and uh, they, they began as Silicon and Synapse. They made a real bad racing game, but it was the first non-Japanese title ever released for the uh, Super Nintendo. So that was their claim to fame. Uh, they also did a lot of work on ports.
3: Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings Volume 1, Battle Chess, all that stuff. Is the bad racing game Rock and Roll Racing, or is that a different rock racing Rock and Roll
0: Racing isn't that great, but it's better than um, whatever it was like RC I w- pro w- yeah, M, I, was, Ron- I was
3: just asking. Uh, yeah, so they, they, they start creating their own games with Rock and Roll Racing and the Lost Vikings. If you remember the Lost Vikings, they're kind of like claymation-looking Vikings. It was a platformer, a puzzle platformer that would end up being artistically the inspiration for RPM
0: racing was their first one. And ah. it is dog shit. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. The, the Vikings and lost Vikings would kind of go on to be their inspiration for the char- uh, characters in Warcraft.
0: So they're doing, they released the lost Vikings and that did okay. They're doing uh, port work, which is okay, but they're still not making ends meet. The, the company isn't making sense on the books. They're losing money to make payroll. They have to borrow from their credit cards, more money from their parents, and they get an acquisition offer from Davidson & Associates. That gives them a like $7 million deal. That lets them give them a bunch of freedom. They were also entertaining an offer from Interplay, but the Blizzard uh, founders were like, no, Interplay is like an actual video game company, and they're gonna like make us do a bunch of shit because that's how game publishers work with their developers. If we want freedom, we gotta go with Davidson & Associates. The reason why is because Davidson Associates made educational software. Specifically, mm-hmm. they were the company behind math blasters.
3: Math Blaster. So like think of
0: this world, this 90s world where the creators of Math Blasters were the big dick money yeah. dogs in the room. Right, right. Going up to Blizzard Entertainment, being like, Yeah, sure, whatever.
3: I mean, educational computer. Seven
0: million plus seven million equals whatever. <laughs>
3: Uh, edu- educational computer games were just so, such a big deal for, uh, you know, back then and everywhere in schools and things like that. Um, I, just yeah. like
0: riding in like private jets to Dubai, getting high on cocaine with Putt-Putt. Exactly. That fucking edutainment life, man.
3: Fucking, dude, no one partied, no, no one partied or fucked like those Oregon Trail guys. <laughs> all right? They'd literally be like, they, they, they'd, they'd hold these dysentery parties where mm-hmm. they just eat a bunch of laxatives and fuck and just shit. Um, It was disgusting, Jake.
0: uh, They wanted to change their name, so for a brief second, they became Curse Entertainment or Curse Games, Curse Studio Curse.
3: Was it Curse or chaos? Chaos?
0: Chaos, Chaos. I'm sorry. I'm very sick. With worms in my brain,
3: (laughs) you have some worms. I got worms. I just talked about uh, the Oregon Trail. People fucking and shitting at the same time. (laughs) We're we're in some weird territory right now, Jake. But that's why that's because it's Star Trek. Turns out the name was taken
0: by another firm, so they switched to Blizzard Entertainment. They got to work on a couple of games that like still blows my mind that these were their first games as Blizzard Entertainment. Uh The Death and Return of Superman, <laughs> which I owned, and it was fucking terrible, but I loved it. <laughs> Real terrible, but I loved it. And the uh Super Nintendo version of the Justice League of America fighting game.
3: That was not terrible. It wasn't
0: it wasn't great. Yeah. It wasn't great. I mean, um, but this is just a weird side side swerve. Um the company that was enlisted to make the Genesis version was Condor Software, who later ended up being the originators of Diablo. Mm. And when nobody would publish Diablo, they actually went over to Blizzard and were like, hey, can you help us make this? And like, basically we wouldn't have had the Diablo series if it wasn't for the fact that like, at a specific time when Blizzard was stuck making shitty licensed games, this other company was and they had to talk to each other occasionally and that was like their connection
3: so while all this is happening and they're working on all these ports they also have their own game in mind uh, completely influenced by Dune 2 trying to tweak and change and make better what Dune 2 was trying to do and that game was Warcraft Orcs and Humans and that game would go on to be their first big ass hit Uh, and it took a you say
0: big ass hit but it was like 500,000 copies it was
3: their first pretty okay we're not (laughs) gonna fail yeah thing that came out and and that that game really put them on the map just a little bit too and it took a really long time for them to come out with that game specifically because they were working on all these ports but it allowed for multiplayer via a modem or local network played on randomly generated maps they, uh, the screen consisted of a main space showing the part of the map the player was currently working in, a mini-map on the top left, and a menu below it where you could give upgrades to a unit or a building that was selected, and other such activities. So that's the very basic start of early RTS. Mm-hmm. And this leads to a sequel called Warcraft II: Tides of Darkness, again pretty, pretty similar, they just kind of iter- iterated on everything, made everything uh, just a little bit stronger
0: and i think it was between between warcraft 1 and 2 that command and conquer had come out
3: command and conquer had come out and that game by the
0: by westwood the yes. originator like the game that started it all
3: yes command and conquer comes out and that game sets a new standard for rts games what what also happens around this time uh battlenet hits hits uh from blizzard now that is uh, well
0: it was warcraft 2 used like a third party thing yeah. because You know, managing, like, IP addresses and getting modems to actually talk to each other was pretty difficult, and that infrastructure hadn't existed before. Uh, They built Battle.net specifically for Diablo, which was this giant, sprawling project that had been taking forever. So I don't know if BattleNet was specific. So they had BattleNet. So BattleNet,
3: Diablo. I I have it here that BattleNet uh, came out with the release of Diablo. Okay. Yeah. In in at the tail end of 1996, and that the, this was also, by the way, the first online gaming service that incorporated directly into the games that make use of it. So there, it's like the company that's giving you the game is also giving you the server, and it's not a, a third party or anything like that. That was like completely new. And it was pretty basic at the time. It just had. Uh, chat uh, players gave the players ability to chat with other players and join multiplayer games, and that's pretty much it. Now, and This is where we're getting towards the the start of development for StarCraft. Warcraft Two is out. There's um there's work happening on Warcraft Three. Uh, but and, Diablo
0: is sucking up a ton of resources. Yes,
3: I mean StarCraft actually. No, before Diablo came out, they were already working on a StarCraft game. Uh, so after Warcraft 2 in an effort to generate more revenue as that project ran late uh, because they weren't so 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 just like you said Warcraft comes out it's a hit but it's not like a huge hit and then Warcraft 2 they're working working workin on that but they took a little too long so now they're freaking out and we need to do we need we need to release Warcraft 3 but we need to release other shit too we need to release other shit ASAP um, so that according
0: is, to the this is f- so funny according to like, if you watch like official Blizzard like behind the scenes whatever uh, you know because Blizzard is a company that is very much ahead of its own PR it, you know runs its own conventions it's, uh-huh. it's very good at lionizing its uh, legacy and you know for for good PR uh, they're like, you know, we were just sick and tired of drawing fantasy stuff and we wanted to take to the stars <laughs> instead of the reality, which is like this entire company way overcommitted to a bunch of games just going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit oh shit
3: and that oh shit oh shit oh shit led to Blizzard's a lot of blizzard's key philosophy this is a quote from alan adam uh it's not what you learn in business school it's sort of the opposite to say no 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 don't do any of that just give your guys the freedom to go hog wild for a period of time given enough freedom to iterate the game directors who don't abuse that freedom out of that comes overwatch and hearthstone and Starcraft Uh, and they're pretty much just saying but I think again you can say that's our philosophy and we win against the grain but at the same time it sounds more like oh fuck everybody all hands on deck and there's not enough people to watch the people making the games because so many different groups of people are making so many different games that I think it was more just like they have to let them have freedom and go hog wild
0: this is something I think about all the time is so many companies love like touting like hey man you can delay a game like like a bad game that's released early will always be bad but a good like like you can delay a good game till it's a good game or whatever that is but it's also like we have enough money to take the hit while we fuck around forever yeah. like you know overwatch is an amazing success story But also, they wasted 10 years trying to make Titan. Yeah. Like, they wasted so much
3: fucking time. So much time and money. Uh, So, Patrick Wyatt, the key programmer, describes what it was like, um, the scene after Warcraft Two. The idea was that some people were going to go off and start another project, and then some of the people who were not the leads of Warcraft Two were gonna become the leads of Starcraft. Starcraft was envisioned as a, as a sort of expansion set, and this is how we described it internally, except it was going to be a standalone expansion set. So it wouldn't reinvent everything, and it would be done in 12 months. And they decided to go to a sci-fi theme after having done two fantasy titles pre- previously and they referred to it as orcs in space uh now this seemed like a good idea at the time but once they showed it off well at this is, e- e3 this, 1996 uh things were a little bit <laughs> the reaction was a little bit different than they expected let's just say that well i uh, love this story that this we're is amazing into, i didn't know this I'm so i love this story uh
0: so e3 1996 this is back when you know E3 really was like where all the big game companies showed their hands and all the game magazines had to like get as much down on paper as quickly as possible because this was like, you know, this is where news happened. This is where all the little tidbits of information that they would drip feed their readers for the next year would come from. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people didn't know what was happening in the games industry until E3
3: happened.
0: Um, And uh, people loved Diablo. Di- they yeah, showed Diablo. By, and by and, the way,
3: Diablo, crushing it. They
0: had cool 3D, like pre-rendered graphics. They had like this a really addictive uh, gameplay loop with like live, you know, real-time action. Uh, it was a huge Diablo was actually supposed to be a turn-based uh, game.
3: Whoa!
0: Because they were like kind of building. They were trying to be like um, kind of like a Baldur's Gate D and D kind of thing but gotcha. with more of like a no, 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 right, edge to it right, right, right. and it was Blizzard that was like please fucking just do it in real time let's just do it in real time like our whole thing is that we do real time games and they're like <laughs> no um, and no, then no I don't like you very much and then they're like can <laughs> we have more money and staff and Blizzard was like okay it's like actually all of your staff <laughs> they're like we're working on our own game Starcraft
3: <laughs> me and can we go to Six Flags please
0: <laughs> Uh, so all of, literally, uh, yeah, the Diablo people as Diablo grew in lame, scope, eventually right? <laughs> everyone, uh, this is another quote from a, a Kotaku article, as Diablo grew in scope, eventually everyone at Blizzard HQ from the artists to the programmers, designers, sound engineers, and testers ended up, uh, working on Diablo until no one was left working on StarCraft. Even the project lead of StarCraft was co-opted to finish the game installer for Diablo. I had half written it myself and was too busy to complete it. Says uh, the original, uh, one of the original StarCraft programs. And
3: also, it looked gross. It, it just had this gross, it was like pink and bright blue. Oh, StarCraft. StarCraft. I'm sorry, what were you talking about? I was
0: talking about just how deep, di- like, all uh, of the Diablo resources, still, like, yeah, they, yeah, just, yeah. they just. Did not put the effort into StarCraft that they should have.
3: Yes, yes. It was and
0: built on the original uh, Warcraft II engine. It was
3: so lazy. It was... And it looked gr- bad. Look up screenshots of the E3 1996 When you think of the Zerglings, so you think of
0: this like earth tone, brown kind of like bug carapace kind of like bone and sinew. Yeah. And in um in in the original, uh in the quote unquote alpha of StarCraft, it's like pink goo and like weird green slime and bones everywhere it's a very garish color scheme the entire perspective is in the same um uh geometry as warcraft as well where it's like more top down than the isometric kind of view that you're used to in starcraft you know isometric is when it's like on a diagonal plane so you can see more of the 3d like area i'm doing a terrible job describing this but i hope you understand what i'm saying
3: (laughs) Um, it's so hard to describe. It's, it's, it's going to be very The uh,
0: graphics weren't really pre-rendered. There was a lot of just hand-drawn sprite work that looked really ugly. And Command and & Conquer had really upped the game with its more realistic units and more fleshed out, graphically impressive uh, uh, uh Graphically impressive graphics. But,
3: aw, oh, shit, Jake. Also, right down the hall, there was a new game, man, and it was blowing everybody's brains out. That game was called Dominion Storm. You want to have a good-looking strategy game? Don't play that StarCraft horse shit played Dominion Storm and it was just awesome looking and everybody was talking about it. And nobody wasn't talking about it. And everybody was shitting all over StarCraft. Everybody was like, Dominion Store is gonna fucking blow everybody's minds. And all the Blizzard Starcraft people were like, oh no, we can't <laughs> release StarCraft. We gotta go completely remake the game. Uh and it turns out my favorite thing ever is that Dominion Storm was total horseshit. It wasn't real. They were playing a pre-rendered movie, and the people were fake playing it. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get to that
0: part
1: of the story. You didn't
3: get that part? Oh, that's my favorite part. Dominion was, StarCraft as it is, would not exist if these fakers had not deceived everybody at E3 1996. Patrick, um, what was his name? Wyatt. Patrick Wyatt, yeah, when when they found out about Dominion Storm, it would be an understatement to say that we were gobsmacked. We had been duped into rebooting Starcraft, this fucking bullshit game that wasn't real. They just made like a movie, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the guy, yeah, it was, and, and they, and isometric icons. I believe, oh, no, 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 Isometric Icons isn't the name of the, the dev company. Damn, I didn't write the dev company, but the dev company failed. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Ion Storm, maybe is the name of the dev company.
0: Ion Storm was fucking John Romero's thing, remember?
3: Oh, that's right, that's so what it is. So th-
0: maybe it did fall apart on its fucking ass yeah, so it was Ion it, Storm. It,
3: either way, it all fell apart, Um, uh, But they had these isometric (gasps) icons. Why did I
0: rely on the fucking Blizzard uh, side of the (laughs) story where they're like, well, we just made Diablo so good. (laughs) That was the problem. Oh,
3: no, no. The whole reason why they rebooted is because they all got hoodwinked. So, anyways... um, uh, you know, at one point, very close to Diablo's release, everybody from the team was completely pulled off of StarCraft in every other game to finish Diablo. And while that was happening, because there were no devs working on the game, the lead programmer and technical director, Bob Fitch, took that opportunity to completely overhaul the StarCraft engine completely overhaul it and and he said of this i took the list of things we couldn't do like units that could move one direction while facing another and i rewrote the engine so that it could do all those things and it was a nightmare it was a horrible time for him he had it was very brutal but it
0: was described as like two straight years of crunch uh they had to bring in a load of new programmers that really weren't well versed in game design and they had to teach them on the fly um They were using C++ to build this new engine, and all the senior quote-unquote Blizzard programmers were new to C++. They had built Warcraft in C. Um, Chunks of the original Warcraft code were like thrown away arbitrarily, even like so like they would throw away parts that worked, and then like keep shit that was still broken. Even stuff like uh, this is again the this is Patrick Wyatt talking, which is a really great look at how fucking annoying game programming is. Uh Um, So, it's easy to just turn all the tile sets and graphics to isometric graphics. You just change the sprites and change the tiles so that instead of straight lines, they're slanty lines, and then you place them down like you normally would. Easy peasy. The pathfinding, though, like how the the in-game units knew which way to walk and where to go on a square grid that you just put diagonal graphics on was a nightmare to program that required 18 different levels. Uh, they were like, no, but like, uh, just such inefficient code was happening. Um, so like, then they had to incorporate the battle net multiplayer on top of that. Uh-huh. And so uh, StarCraft is, was one of the buggiest games that Blizzard had put out. Uh, it's kind of legendarily glitchy and on the competitive level, you know, in South Korea, they were exploiting those like exploiting those glitches and like skipping animations and doing all these shenanigans were like part of the quote meta.
3: Uh-huh.
0: But it was a gigantic frenzied slag to get it to release date.
3: Even the art, Samwise Didier, the um uh, art director said there wasn't a lot of thought process it was more of let's put this in and boom there's our siege tank that's our battle cruiser there was no going back no hey can we redo this there was no desire for that it was cool just as it was which just sounds like they were like just everything goes in the pot we got to put a game out uh, there was a very small <clears throat> cinematics team who did the cutscenes. Uh, Patrick says uh, that they were learning the tools inadequate tools and discovering how on a budget to render these scenes we didn't even have render farms we saw sort of built it out of desktops when people weren't using them sometimes wow so it was just a huge challenge being so resource constrained in that area most of the unit voices were done by employees like completely on the fly uh there was actually a band of blizzard employees like an actual music band called big tuna and they used one of their songs for the opening sequence (laughs) uh they had um Chris Metzen of course renowned writer for Blizzard he also did, he did the Warcraft 2 and the Diablo fictional universes he created the Starcraft one and he, uh, Chris Metzen, huge comic book fan, even amidst to spending an average of thirty five dollars a week on comics to this day. He got a job at Blizzard without knowing they made video games. I talked about this during our World of Warcraft <laughs> episode. He, he showed up and was like, "Oh, you guys make games? I had no idea." He um, he ended up working with James, who Finney. was in
0: charge of stealing all the shit from uh, Warcraft Forty K. Whose job was
3: that?
0: who was whose job was it to pretend that nobody had been a known a nerd from England?
3: Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, but Chris Metzen and James Finney—they uh, wrote the story and script, along with uh, doing a lot of voice act uh, casting, rather as well. So it's just this mad fucking dash, like it just—it seems like this crazy rush to get this thing out, and at the same time. People, like, they were, you know, the employees were playing. This is always the key, right? Is this is the same thing with Doom and its software. The employees were, were even though they were working on the game around the clock, some would say too much around the clock, as that's a problem in video games these days, but uh, they were working around the clock in the game, and when they weren't working on the game, they were playing the game. That's how good this game was, and that's how they knew they had something special on their hands. Uh, also... I love this about StarCraft. StarCraft in a lot of ways defined future Blizzard art style on a huge profound level because of necessity. Uh, This is Didier talking um, about the Blizzard style. Everything on PC at that time was photorealistic or trying to be with realistic proportions. And we just said, it doesn't look cool. What we started trying to do with Warcraft was max things out. And then in StarCraft, instead of having one gun, it was three guns and they were all clunky. The Blizzard style was inspired by a technical necessity from trying to make things translate, so they put these photorealistic stuff into into the game, and it just looked gross. And they're like, "What if we just like push it down and make it wider and make paltrons?
0: It... What if we paltrons? Yeah,
3: let's just make everything look kind of round and clunky and like." big and sort of uh just like weird and cartoonish and get away from photorealism is it doesn't look as cool in this starcraft game and that really led to so many you know to even the art style you get with like overwatch you know and things like that having those big sort of big round like bulbous like um shoulder armor sets and like I'd being steal, all wide i like stealing for crazy. more
0: hammer but whatever it's, <laughs> it's just uh, propaganda uh no but that's you are making a very good point that uh like uh, Starcraft and Warcraft 3 had that style and it set it apart from Command & Conquer that looked a little boring compared to it. Yeah. Um, World of Warcraft, stocky and wide and more cartoonish, made it stand apart from EverQuest. Yep. And uh, even like, uh, even Hearthstone is more cartoonish and pops more than what Magic the Gathering, which was like, here's the photo of the card, the card goes here, like.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, there were only 15 colors for each model. But uh, Didier seemed to prefer that. Uh, He said, you know, I love this analogy. You know when you go to a restaurant and they give you a piece of paper to draw on and a box of busted crayons and you're kind of making do with what you've got and you end up with cool stuff because you're forced to use color combinations you never normally use? That was his explanation for why it ended up benefiting them to have such a minimal amount of colors to work with for the art on StarCraft. And I think that is a really lovely analogy. Even though, grow up, what restaurant are you going to as a grown man where you're they're giving you boxes of crayons, dude? I love it when I get the box of
0: crayons. Yeah? I have never feel more creatively free and happy than fucking a placemat at a shitty diner and the complimentary crayons.
3: See, for some reason, I always naturally just go, me make pee pee, and then just piss my <laughs> pants in front of the whole restaurant. <laughs> Because I turn into like a fun baby when I get box of crayons, but that's besides the point, Jake. Let's talk Sounds about like these. Not a fun
0: baby. Sounds <laughs> like a very messy, unpleasant baby.
3: Let's talk about these races, huh? These three different races that would come to define all of StarCraft. Uh, art director Sam Wise Didier said. When we made these races, we just threw a bunch of crap at the wall and saw what stuck. We knew that our Terrans were going to be rough and dirty. We knew we wanted the Protoss to be not savage exactly, but primal and powerful. And we knew we wanted the Zerg to swarm. Uh,
0: God, the the Zerg, first of all, it was almost, uh, the Zerg were almost shut down by Disney because technically... uh, you know, Commander Zerg or whatever, uh, Buzz Lightyear's enemy in Toy Story had oh, been what? named first.
3: God, it's and
0: so Disney weird. And Disney was going to sue him out of, uh, and like it was this magic like lawyer kung fu where it's like they, because where they basically convinced Disney, hey, we're legally different. We'll spell it with a e. Yours will be with a U. That'll be fine. And uh, two you want your evil space character to be associated with evil in space so like everybody wins.
3: That's so funny and I always feel like I just, it's so, Weird for me to think when Toy Story came out. I always feels mm-hmm. like it came out w- like way later than like Starcraft. The first Starcraft came out. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy to me. So, anyways, the Zerg, the Xenomorph, like hyper evolutionary uh, super organism, um, and they're the main antagonist of the series. They're technologically lacking. Instead, using force evolved genetic traits to, um, uh, which, uh, in other words, like the controlling mutations. And um, they they uh, are a chain of command linked by a hive mind, striving for genetic perfection faction but become mindless beasts if not connected to a hive cluster or command entity. zergs created the term zerg rush or zerging which is now just a, a popular term known in in gaming in general and it's just essentially when you take a bunch of weak creatures and uh or uh, Too weak swiftly. units and just overpower with numbers Um uh, they, uh, yeah. So that's their deal. The Protoss are a strong humanoid species with cyanic abilities. They uh, have an emphasis on spellcasting and the quality over quantity of units. So like the opposite of the Zerg. They're indifferent towards Terrans, but they're an enemy to the Zerg. Um, they're also based on the gray alien archetype. Didier says of this, "We made our eight or nine. We made ours eight or nine feet tall." instead of these skimpy prepubescent gray aliens with no muscle tone our protoss gave giant uh, have giant golden armor they have to support those little guys couldn't do it you know so they had to make them bulkier and whatever like they had to make the photorealistic stuff Terrans now those are the punk rock cowboy humans Uh, they're the future version of humanity um, Terra, like Mm Terraforma I think is where that probably comes from too stubborn or stupid to give up, as I quote uh, but there's th-
0: a complicated political history between the space confederacy and the United Earth Forces. And through play, <laughs> we discover the various intrigues and politics that
3: shape their world. Well, Samwise says, we used a low-down, dirty vibe. <laughs> a little bit of a mafia vibe. A redneck vibe. A mad scientist vibe. And that was our version of the space marine. We, uh, where you're tr- used to seeing all these polished galactic federations, we did the opposite. The street gangs, the prisoners, which I do think is a cool take. I I think that is a neat take. Within
0: the StarCraft universe, uh, the Earth just turned space into galactic Australia. Yeah. So it does (laughs) kind of pan out. Uh, I will, I I just want to talk about this, but on the original StarCraft, um, like, box art, it always, like, pissed me off that you had, like, this cool Protoss face, like, looking at you, and behind the Protoss was, like, a fucking weird gnarly alien Zerg with its mandible claws and teeth just gnashing out at you. Mm-hmm. And then for the Terran was like just lumpy Vin Diesel steampunk guy. <laughs> Not even like Raynor, just like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and it
0: pisses me off.
3: Um so there were two expansions for StarCraft. There's Insurrection, which is uh, has new, three new uh, single-player campaigns and over 100 multiplayer maps. And the more importantly, Brood War. Uh, this also had new missions and multiplayer maps, but the most important thing about Brood War is that it had uh, new units and major balancing tweaks, and this made the game essentially uh, able to be an eSport. Mm-hmm. And this this Brood War is really what put it put it over, especially in Korea. And we're about to talk about. Do you want to talk about? Can we talk about Korea now?
0: Can, I love uh, this. Before Korea we stuff. finish, I just want to acknowledge that StarCraft did a lot really well. Um, it kind of uh, established uh, Blizzard as kind of the go-to kings of CGI cutscenes in yeah. video games. Um, the use of CGI cutscenes allowed for kind of this graphical punch, this kind of wow factor, even though. Uh, the game was made for lower end computers like you know uh, to run a real time strategy game you didn't need of one of them newfangled graphics cards which back then they weren't even standardized like you know if you bought the a voodoo 2 when you needed an nvidia flex or whatever i made i made those up uh, like you were out of <laughs> luck so it so it was a spectacle but it was still accessible and the way that it uh, kind of wove the audio tracks and dialogue between characters in the uh, campaign missions was new for the time and you know now i you can't even imagine a real time strategy game without like you know, radioing back and forth and like drama playing out yep.
3: while you're kind of clicking around. Yeah, this game would go on to sell 1.5 million copies in its first year and would eventually do 9.5 million worldwide, which is a huge, huge success. And it really
0: so decent just- PC game. You know, uh, Fallout also did good. Uh, you know, not didn't do as good as Quake. It's not as good as you know uh, 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 Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, but you know, it's an okay game. Um, so how did this? Become the single most long-lived cultural force in PC gaming.
3: What is the deal? I, and I, that was, I think, the most important question to answer when doing StarCraft. Right? Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about how Blizzard came to be in the past. We've talked, uh, uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, we've talked about how other video games were made. But what the fuck happened in Korea? What the fuck, <laughs> especially? And how the fu- like, how do we get from this small team busting ass, twenty-four hours a day, to make this game? Not in realizing it would be the success that it was, to an arena filled with thousands of human beings, all to watch two dudes on a stage battle it out in StarCraft. That's the question, right? For the championships, there would be outdoor events with hundreds of thousands of people watching. It was essentially what. It's arguably what put esports on the map in a lot of ways. Like, initially. People
0: are still chasing that. for lack of a, a not being racist chasing that dragon
3: <laughs> so this is essentially what happened all right because you've got to realize like why starcraft right why 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 that and one one important force in Korea was the fact that through different uh, policies they put in place and things like that Korea ended up with the best fucking internet on the planet everybody was jealous of their internet access also though right for a very
0: long time Korea was uh, run by a national telecom and then they broke that monopoly so um, all these corporations were eager to get a chunk of that pie so there was a ton of competition to show who could do it get the fastest connection who could have the widest coverage on top of that, uh, there had been a recent uh, economic downturn in, yes. in Asia, starting in Thailand and moving its way throughout the uh, throughout the region. Japan, you know, talks about the lost decade or whatever. Um, and so, a lot of Koreans kind of like had a lot of time to kill, or just needed to like find uh, low investment businesses that they could start just to get income coming in. And so, what they settled on was a kind of new venue called the PC Bong. Yes. Which uh, a lot of people call an internet cafe right
3: now internet cafe though when you hear that you think oh just just a place for like people when they're traveling to check their email or mm-hmm. something like that check on with social media but it really was more akin to an arcade it was a social place for kids to get away from their home or school to go and just hang out and be Whether social it was
0: the mall or uh, if you're following bad 90 sitcoms the 50s themed diner <laughs> yes kids needed a place to just exist without their fucking principal or their parents you
3: so out. they'd go to the, what was the name again? PC Bongs. Yes, PC bangs. PC ba- bangs. Uh, they would go to these places and socialize and play the shit out of computer games and. Another element that comes into play, so, and, and I lo- this is the thing that I love so much about this Korea story and and what led to this level of success for StarCraft. If not all of these things were happening at the exact same time, like, StarCraft never would have happened like it did in Korea. Mm-hmm. So the other one is that Japanese media was banned in Korea.
0: For very understandable reasons, <laughs> if you are Korean. <laughs> so, war crimes. <clears throat> sorry, so, sorry, something stuck in my Horrific war crimes.
3: So that included video games that included video games Um, and so so really the big video games that they were getting access to were coming out of America and what were the big games coming out of America at that time uh, I guess you would have Doom, right? You would have, but like this is late '90s.
0: Uh, Korea is also a little bit more stricter um, culturally, so I don't know if like like the Maybe stripper, that came into play. The a little strippers bit. in Duke Nukem would be
3: a no go. Well, no, but I'll tell you another cultural thing that came into play. They were really into televising one v one strategy games. Most most specifically, uh, the game called Go, which is like the most one of the most ancient
0: checkers meets chess meets Othello with it's- the white stones and the blue stones
3: incredibly complex game that um, generally most people in Korea like understand how to play it and watch competitions so they're no stranger to that kind of strategy competition game and therefore uh, Starcraft so, oh, the, would become the most palatable of all the American games for Koreans it was the time. also
0: the most directly competitive digitally mm-hmm. that you could like challenge your because they were playing on low powered PCs not yeah. arcade hardware not right. video game consoles uh if you remember trying to play fighting games in the 90s on PC not a good not a good scene not a good scene Um, and uh, oh but you're right to focus on the go thing because I feel like that's already a giant leap that when people are like they're watching video games like they were watching board games already yeah like, and, and that's, that was, that that's was, the leap. And that was their sports. Yeah. You know,
3: like, in a big way, or, or one of their sports. I mean, there were also physical sports, of course, athletic sports. I mean,
0: uh, in England, uh, people play snooker all the time. Sure. You, you, you see, there's, like, that. that's, and like, ch- a... And people
3: watching chess tournaments, you know I mean? That's who watches a, chess tournaments? Uh, some, pe- some people. Like, those, I don't know. I don't know. There want, is,
0: um, even in the age of 500 channels, I you would not be able to find a chess tournament on
3: TV in America. So, established in t- the year 2000, after the approval of the Ministry of Culture and Tourism Korea, the Korea Esports Association came to be, KESPA uh, and their goal was to make esports an official event and commercialize it and so they uh, manage the broadcasting of esports the formation of new events and the conditions in which programmers work as well as encourage the playing of video games by the general population also... It's a, oh,
0: oh, it's we should also note that in a in a it's also a very cheap easy way to fill a good chunk of airtime.
3: Yes. Yes. Cuz all you have to do is
0: just get the players in the room and plug in the uh, video outputs. Just
3: get them going. So there's so on media and MBMBC mm-hmm. M as in mother or monster or mommy or me mother has mean mommies. <laughs> we gotta get out of here I don't know Uh, NBC uh, plus media launched their own TV channels in Korea to broadcast Starcraft competitions they had the uh, on on, this is a hard one for me to say the on game net oh that's what it is on game net OGM Star League and NBC game Starcraft League they have two different leagues Samsung enters as a sponsor there ends up being eight teams six of which have full on sponsorships and um, uh, they are just having these giant events, uh, filling out stadiums. It's fucking unbelievable. Uh, they had, you know, big-name people start to come out. The notable players, there was Lim yo or Slayer S. Boxer. Oh, Boxer's a big deal. Boxer, he's known as the Emperor of Terran, uh, uh, known for creative play, known for... Just kind of trying, doing crazy shit on the field. There's lee Yun yeol <laughs> uh, otherwise known as Red Nada. He was known as tornado Tehran. Uh He's statistically the best player in history. I
0: tried so hard to watch some of this over the week. <laughs> like I Basically, what I was trying to find was like the Daigo Perry of yeah, Korean yeah, yeah, StarCraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, hard to find. Yeah. Even the ones that they were like, legendary moments when boxer went up against yellow and did a three in a row bunker rush and still it's just like tiny blurry low resolution units getting moved across a map while a man in a foreign language is screaming in ecstasy and i don't understand
3: <laughs> <laughs> and i feel so bad that's so funny i i feel like once i get um, some more hours into starcraft uh, mm. playing like the campaign and everything and i get a little bit more of an understanding of how to build a uh, uh, uh you know do anything in that fucking game then i'll i'll definitely want to check out some videos you've got you also have uh hong Jin ho or yellow known as storm zerg he's known for aggressive and hara- uh, harassing style of play he's a big rival to boxer and um uh for protoss you've got uh, oops reach or uh whose real name is park jung uh suk who's nicknamed mantos and that's because he's super muscular and uses like super brute strategies <laughs> with the Protoss to take people out. He's also known as Hero Protoss. Um, he's the most consistent long-term Protoss player. But there's so many more than that. I just wanted to like describe a few of them so you get a kind of a basic idea of what it sounds like. It reminds me a lot of the Smash episode we did mm-hmm. you, you, where, you know, it's like the same like 10 guys that are winning everything and just for decades, mm-hmm. you know, it, it r- is really what it seems like.
0: And this scene, like, uh, attracted, like, you know, the Americans, people from all over the world, like, if they truly cared about this game, would come to Korea, and it was, like, this entire generation of expatriates that, like, broke their teeth <laughs> against this insanely competitive world.
3: But, of course, an insanely competitive world uh, is no stranger to Scandal. In 2010, 11 StarCraft players were implicated for match-fixing during the 09 season. A sanctioned subcommittee of KESPA, of the Korean Esports Association, banned them from playing esports. They had their prizes and rewards revoked and faced civil and criminal charges. Uh, One of the most famous names in Brood War uh, was Ma Savior Jae-yoon, who was taken out. Another player faced an 18-month sentence. For this um, among other things and this was actually apparently illegal gambling sites in, in South Korea were even starting their own sponsorships even like sponsoring some players um, with like training and stuff as a way to get them to turn and take money to lose. So they were they were really going out and just trying to k- get these young players and get them to just how the
0: fuck do you make it look natural in front of a hundred thousand people digitally?
3: I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a crazy thing, you know. I get, maybe it's like pro wrestling. Oh, uh, the know boss
0: says I got to take a dive in the third round. I'm gonna set up my Hyperion units.
3: Well, obviously they didn't do too good of a job as they all got fucking busted. Uh, so also though, in 2010 came the release of StarCraft II Wings of Liberty. And yes, you heard that right. 12 fucking years after the release of the very first title comes StarCraft II. Some people say it took too long, that it would have been even more successful if they had a follow-up sooner. Other people say the reason why it took so long was because of World of Warcraft slowing things down. It was just such a juggernaut that eclipsed everything going on at Blizzard for a long time. Plus, it's, a, it's an
0: unwieldy task because you have to create a game that is approachable enough for new players, especially this entire Blizzard universe that you've kind of built around yourself with World of Warcraft, and still provide more for the people that are playing this game at such a galaxy brain echelon That, like, what can you even offer them that wouldn't just terrify new players off the bat?
3: And also, not not to mention that, but it being esports, they have to think about people watching it as esports on TV and how that would look. Uh, designer Dustin Browder said of this too many units causes confusion in football there's one unit the human of course there are wide receivers quarterbacks and other roles but when you see these game pieces moving around in a football game you know what they're capable of Browder also referred to making Starcraft 2 as insanely hard like inventing basketball too. <laughs> and this really opened my eyes to something that I'd always been thinking about like the difference between professional sports and esports I think one of the biggest ones is that there is no there's never a basketball two. There's never a football two. They, they, well there the, is the, the rule NBA, changes over time, you know there are rule changes, but like the you designated don't call it, hitter, the shot clock You don't call it a new thing and like <laughs> release a new way to play it. You know what I mean? I mean Unless you're the XFL. And that's what maybe will be the hardest barrier, I think, personally, for video games to overcome when it comes to esports. I mean, I feel like at some point, there just has to be a game called Street Fighter that we just pl- always, it's just that for all of time, right? Well, that's
0: why so many games are kind of moving on to the service or perpetual. Like, yeah,
3: calling it like infinite, like Marvelous Capcom infinite, even though yeah. that didn't work out too well for them. Calling it something like that, where it's like, this is just the game now, and mm-hmm. we're just going to keep putting stuff out. Like, will there ever be an Overwatch 2? I don't think there really should be. I feel like that kind of fucks everything up for the eSports side of things, you know?
0: Barring, yeah, barring some crazy, like, Paradigm shift in how computing or, or isn't ingest- like unless we're getting the brain chips in the next 10 years Like yeah, there's no reason to um, I can't by the way if you're working on the brain chip Just call me. I want in get me in on that good brain chip action I don't care if it neutralizes my sperm. I don't care. I want to see the internet
3: <laughs> so yeah, I, you know that th- for Starcraft 2 They focused more heavily on multiplayer as Battle.net received strong improvements. They had a ranked games with a ladder system that can go on indefinitely. A ladder system or just players are listed as if on the rungs of a ladder, the objective is for a player to reach the highest rung. Um, They had better matchmaking for skill levels. They improved the replay function. You know, uh, clearly like graphical improvements, things like that, a whole new story, a whole new campaign. It had it received three expansions: Heart of the Swarm, Legacy of the Void, and Nova Covert Ops. Uh, so, uh, and and yeah, it, it it came out and it was a you know I mean it was a big deal, but there was also quite a bit of it was a slow turnover to bring StarCraft two. Into the whole esports thing. Uh, when that came out, uh, K Spot, OGN, and NBC all decided to stick with Brood War. They were still, I mean, Brood War is the gold standard for competition, generally, basically. It was just it's the end all be all for so many Korean players that it was just hard to just be like, oh, we're just gonna learn and do a whole new game. And it really did, I think, on the meta in that sense, like in terms of Pro, pro, pro. When you get deep, 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 majorly different these mm-hmm. games, right? Yeah. Like from a glance as a general player, you're like, oh, whatever, yeah, it's the same thing, pretty much. But because you know, you still have the when they released uh, the three. Di- you still have the three different factions, and uh, you know, all that stuff is the same. But when
0: you released when uh, Blizzard ended up releasing StarCraft Remastered, uh, Korean fans were like detecting
3: mm-hmm.
0: m- nanosecond differences in response time, and were like, yep. no, no,
3: mm-hmm. I won't have it. Yep, that was like a huge deal. Uh, Starcraft Remaster, which came out, um, is free and came out in 2017. Uh, it, initially, it, it received a lot of negative reactions, especially from Korean like esports type players who were uh, noticing different. It came out super buggy, and it just little things didn't feel right. I mean, it was the same thing as man when they did that Tony Hawk re-release that on Xbox or whatever. There was like Tony Hawk HD um, that was supposed to have a bunch of levels from the original games. i I've, I've played. I don't like I, I couldn't tell you how many hundreds of hours of Tony Hawk I played. I was obsessed with that game as a kid and had nothing else to do. Definitely didn't have a girl to kiss. So I played it for fucking stupid amounts of hours. And it you you just immediately I was like, this isn't the game. this isn't it. <laughs> it's, this feels fucking wrong. Like nothing about this feels good. And they, they uh, you know, they were the ones who made Tony Hawk 5 as well. Uh, they, were, they was the it same dev company. Get so they here. just, like, were really bad at it. But still, like, I immediately could tell, you know? And, and this is the kind of thing these players had as well. But still, StarCraft II did become a big esport game. And also, for StarCraft II's sake, they really got a big boost because Twitch.tv just started happening. And so once Twitch hit... Uh, StarCraft was the League of Legends of today, or Fortnite of today. Like, it was the number one game, you know, at all times. Now you've got Fortnite, Dota 2, League of Legends usually taking, like, the top spots along with, like, just chatting or, like, whatever. Um, uh, But StarCraft really did also get a lot of popularity and a lot of success just being that Twitch game right when Twitch was a big deal.
0: I mean, yeah, it was still technically a spinoff of Justin.TV. Like, this was pre Amazon. This was... The, the rise of Twitch and the arrival of Starcraft 2 was a very was a very good time.
3: So they even got to the point where they, it wasn't just Starcraft 2 tournaments it was just now it's Brood War and Starcraft 2 in mm-hmm. the same tournament and you can compete in both but either way uh, Starcraft 2 big deal and Starcraft 2 in 2017 went free to play um, and it uh, has the two expansion campaigns Heart of the Swarm and Legacy of the Void are priced at $15 each but you can get in and free to play it and I highly recommend Recommend it, man. I'm having a fucking great time with it. It's a game I always meant to play. It's a shame uh, the reason why I ended up (laughs) starting to play it, but I'm happy to be here with it, and um, I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. So, uh, yeah, that's our episode, I think, on StarCraft. I think we've covered it all, right, Jake? I think, I mean, we didn't get into the...
0: How Valerian Minsk uh, rose to power within the uh, Confederacy of Space. And, you know, we didn't even touch on the Zelnaga and how they restart the cycle and are looking for creatures with purity of essence. And how the Primal Zerg are different from the uh, Engineered Zerg that had been uplifted. By, but, you know, fine, I guess we can call it.
3: <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We didn't even listening. get into Ghost.
0: Thank you, everybody. We didn't for even looking. talk about
3: ghosts. You know what? No, thank you for listening. All right. Jake, <laughs> Jake made it bad. I'm just kidding. Jake, thank you so much for always being my co-host. Um, I will never leave the queen of plates. And never make never letting me replace you. And every time I try to replace you, figuring out my secret plot to replace you and always foiling it. Uh, the our fun game we have every single week. Um, <laughs> See, that's your problem. I'm just
0: working on an AI algorithm that'll just make people think you're still in the room.
3: Hi, I'm Holden, and I'm here to talk about Animaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you so much. If you'd like to support us further, check out patreon.tv forward slash whizbrew. What? Oh, did I say TV? (laughs) Patreon.com. I'm in the Twitch zone right now apparently. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do bonus episodes once a week. It's always a good time. Come join us there. Check out what we got. If you want to support us further, just five bucks a month. Also... Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenatorsho.
0: Jake? You can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And, uh, hey, I do a lot of stuff for College CollegeHumor's fun, new, crazy thing. It's called Dropout.tv. You can sign up for a free trial, check out one of the shows I do voices on, or uh, check out some of the comics I've written. And
3: it's a good time. Nice, man. It is a good time. All right, everybody. Always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. I like how we can switch that up, too. You know what I mean? Which one of you is the (laughs) whizzings? Who's whizzing right now? (laughs) Write us in and let us know who's whizzing right now. All right, everybody, take care. Fun baby. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.